Hello and welcome to the Touchdown Review, episode 7, brought to you by thetouchdown.co.uk. I'm your host, Mains. Um, apologies for last week, uh, no show, um, technical issues due to me not being here. Um, but we're back, and hopefully better than ever. Um, five guests this week, Callum Squires, Joe Valenzuela, Tiva Boo, Thomas Willoughby, and Ollie Hodgkinson, talking all manner of NFL and college. Big week last week in the NFL, and we're here to review it and talk about it. Without further ado, let's get on to Callum Squires. And joining me now, as always, on the Touchdown Review is the brilliant Callum Squires. Callum, how are we? Great, Paul. Always a pleasure. Good to see you again. And uh, yeah, excited to chat about this weekend's action. Reading your NFL review... Column week eight on the touchdown.co.uk. Brilliant as always, but one thing jumps out. Um, it's backup quarterback, heavy, it, rightfully so, by the way. Uh, we, we had Cooper Rush, which is by far one of the greatest names in NFL history. Um, we had Mike White, um, soon to be known as the uh, second best quarterback in the 2018 NFL draft. We had um, Travis Northwestern's own Trevor Simeon and the man, the myth, the legend, Geno Smith, all all four leading their teams to victory. I guess my question is, which one was the most shocking? The most shocking, I think, has to be Mike White, um, largely because, at least as far as Geno Smith and Trevor Simeon go, um, you've heard of them before. You know, unless you're an avid college football watcher, I defy anybody to tell me that they knew who Mike White was um, before last week at the earliest, probably more realistically, uh, this Sunday just gone. So I, I, I would say that based on the fact that they've had relevancy in the NFL before, uh, Simeon and Smith are going to unfortunately miss out on, on this accolade. Um, though especially Trevor Simeon's performance, very impressive. I do think, Paul, that even you would have a chance of beating the Jacksonville Jaguars at quarterback fair, yourself. Fair, so Geno Smith Gino Smith takes a little bit of a hit on that, though I'm glad for the Seahawks that he pulled through. Um, but then, you know, you come down to, to Mike White and to Cooper Rush. And really what, for me, decides it in the favour of Mike White is that Cooper Rush's supporting cast is so, so good. And we've spoken before here mm-hmm. about how good the Cowboys are and how that's not what you want to hear as a Washington fan, and I totally understand it. And I'm not going to go into that in detail tonight. Um, but Cooper Rush was very impressive. But you have to acknowledge that he is throwing to C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper, and he also has Ezekiel Elliott in the backfield. So at the end of the day, um, Rush has a number of weapons that he can rely on, whereas Mike White, with all due respect to these players... Mike White was throwing passes to the likes of Braxton Berrios, mm. Tyler Croft, Mike, Michael Carter, who has not yet exploded into life in the NFL. All of a sudden had a, had a massive game. If you look at kind of fantasy points and things like that, you know, he was catching the ball. He was running the ball. He got a touchdown. So Mike White's ability to navigate the mishmash of mediocre receiving talents that he had still get for over 400 yards passing and respond to at one point being knocked out of the game, mm. coming back in and winning a game against a Bengals team who has just beaten the Ravens. I mean, that is unheard of. There was a reason that the Bengals were 11-point favourites mm. in that game. 
whereas the Cowboys were only four-point underdogs against the uh, Vikings. So Mike White's going to take it for me. And my favourite bit of the... We, we know that it's Mike White because in a parallel universe, in Mike White was the quarterback playing for the Dallas Cowboys. However, he wasn't the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys in this universe because he was beaten to the job by Cooper Rush. So therefore, as yeah. Callum quite rightly points out, White has to be the one. I mean, I don't know if you saw on Twitter, one of our great draft analysts, uh, Bex, uh, shared her, uh, her grade of um, of Mike White. She she had him as a she had him as QB six in that 2018 draft. Obviously, you know, underselling wow. him. But yeah, um, what what I found <laughs> interesting is that he, he threw for 400 yards. Do you know what his average depth of target was? Because I actually do. No, I don't. 4.1 oh. yards. So it's he wasn't he wasn't <laughs> bombing out, let's just put it that way. They weren't they yeah. weren't deep throws. I I agree. I agree it's um I agree it's Mike White, and that's fun as well, because let's be frank, um the Jets get no fun ever. Although the, yeah. the, of course the Jets get fun, which means that angst in Cincinnati increases. That's just how the world works, right? That those two teams aren't allowed to have good things at the same time. Although I guarantee there's a lot of people in New York already now going, oh God, with the same offense, a guy who no one heard of last week threw for four hundred yards and our second our second pick in the draft couldn't can't get it done. But we won't move we won't go on to that. The team I was the the, the quarterback I was most impressed by was actually probably Trevor Simeon and the, and the reason for that is is he came in midway through the game after Jameis got injured and the playbook did not change they didn't change the way they were playing they continued to throw the same way that they were throwing before long medium throws and <laughs> We've you know styles make fights and stuff like that, but if I'm Tampa Bay, I need someone else to deal with the New Orleans Saints because we they played them four times with Brady now, and for three and a half of those games they've been utterly dominated, and for a half they played really well and that got them through a playoff game. But I'm not sure I'm relying on a half game in in a four game stretch to think that I could beat the Saints. Once, if not twice, again, if I have to meet them. No, if, if the Buccaneers want to repeat, as we all know that they do, and Tom Brady's not in Tampa Bay for a holiday, he's trying to win more championships. You're absolutely right, Paul. The, the New Orleans Saints are probably the biggest nightmare uh, that Bruce Arians has right now. Um, their defense really stepped up. They've got some playmakers on that defense. You know, uh, the pick six from PJ Williams at the end to end it is obviously the exclamation point. But that is, you know, on the back of all game denying them you know big plays denying them the touchdowns that we used to seeing Brady have he ends up with four touchdown passes one of them's on a busted coverage you know it it wasn't by any means a vintage Buccaneers performance but to be fair this Buccaneers defense is for real and so mm. you have to look at Simeon as you said and say incredible job now obviously Kamara helps but there's no Michael Thomas you know with all due respect Juwan, jo- Juwan Johnson, uh, Marcus, Marquez Callaway, you know, Deontay Harris. These are not the elite of the NFL receiving-wise. And so for Simeon to come in and put that performance on, supported by his defense, was, was mightily impressive. And, you know, the Saints, 
seem to be in a, unable, unable, incapable of uh, of having you know a, a losing season, a bad season. You know, even last year when Drew Brees was was not very convincing, they still made the playoffs. This year, you know, you, all these questions about Jameis, and now he's sadly gone down for the season. Um, but in my head, I'm saying, well, Simeon looks like he can do a job, and Sean Payton's come out and said they're really happy with their quarterback room and. New Orleans is absolutely alive and a threat to Tampa Bay in the NFC South. It, it, it's interesting, right? I, I, I'm going to um, call out, not call out friends, but like in, in group text messages, we have a couple of people, and you know, rightfully so, we've all got those coaches who we just don't don't agree with, don't get on with. Mine was always Mike McCarthy from his time in Green Bay. <laughs> you get, for, this is a decade's worth of, I don't get this guy. I don't know how he still has a job, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. One of my close friends is like that with Sean Payton and it's not that he doesn't think he's doing a like he doesn't do a good job it's just like how do you win 10 games every year and then lose in the playoffs every year and not come under any kind of criticism and I kind of do understand that from a you don't get it over the line but then I watched that performance on on Sunday and I'm like he doesn't get criticism because he's just beaten the Super Bowl champions with his third you know his with Trevor Simeon who was basically on the scrappy. He hasn't got Michael Thomas. He, you know, he's he's every time. It's not like the Saints of. You know, they've always had Drew Brees, obviously, but you know, mm-hmm. no one thought Michael Thomas was going to be you know wide receiver one when they drafted him. You know, the same with Marcus Colston, right? The same with all these players who are at the Saints. You don't know about them until you know about them, and they're getting a thousand yards. So, yeah, sorry, Chal. Um, it's not personal. I'm just thought I'd bring that one up. <laughs> Um, what I like about articles when you write them is that a, that a moment in time, right? And what I noticed about your article is your moment in time was really lucky as you were writing it as as Adam Schefter and the rest of the boys managed to drop yeah. a bombshell on you, which is cool, right? Because usually what yeah. would happen, you've written the article, it's posted, you've mentioned the Rams, and someone goes, oh, you didn't, mention Von, you didn't mention the Von Miller trade, oh, did you? So let's mention the Von Miller trade. Um is there any first of all? Is there an easier job in the NFL than a college scout for the Los Angeles Rams? And and second thing, <laughs> um, how do you, how how on earth do you manage to convince someone to pay nine million of a nine point seven five million dollar contract and they give you the player? Well, I mean, yeah, I'd like to touch first on the only reason that I was fortunate enough to be writing the article as Von Miller got traded is because I was vehemently behind schedule as Simon Carroll will no doubt um, <laughs> attest to that I should have written this on Sunday night um, but you know sometimes uh, sometimes you're too engrossed in the games to write the article and that's just kind Correct. of uh, how it went how it went for me on Sunday um, so I was fortunate in that sense yeah I mean yes um, it feels like the Los Angeles Rams are just allergic to draft picks they don't <laughs> like them they don't want them um, and they give them away uh, you know Olympus could be proud but yeah it's one of those things where um, the Rams are fully in win now mode as we know this is not a surprise you know the, the Matt Stafford trade you don't make unless you think that is the final piece of the puzzle and you know to an extent maybe it has been um, you know I think you I think before this Von Miller trade a lot of people were looking at the Rams and saying they are Super Bowl contenders if not front runners anyway mm, mm, and now mm. you add kind of a middle line to this ferocious defense that now has Aaron Donald up front, Jalen Ramsey at the back, and Von Miller in the middle. 
and that is, you know, a star at every level. Mm. You know, only certain teams can dream of having a star at quarterback, a star at running back, and a star at wide receiver. And to be honest, that's kind of, you know, we were talking about the Cowboys earlier. Dak, Zeke, and Amari Cooper, or C.D. Lamb, whichever way you look at it, yeah. you've kind of got a three-headed monster there. Correct. And on the flip side, you, you look at a team like the Vikings, who have a star at running back in Darwin Cook, stars at wide receiver in Thielen and Jefferson, and nothing at quarterback in Kirk Cousins. That's why they're not going to be a team in the playoffs. The Rams appear to have star receivers in Cooper Cup. I think the biggest deficiency in their game currently is running back, because I'm not convinced that Henderson and Michelle is quite elite, but they're good enough to do the job based on everything else the Rams have going around. And to be Hmm. fair, I don't necessarily like it, but the old adage is defense wins championships. And if you've got three stars on a defensive side of the ball, you're really looking strong. Um, It it is absolutely kind of win now or bust for the Rams. Um, You would argue that they now are comparable to the Buccaneers in terms of the depth of talent on their roster in the NFC. Um, The question is, you know, will they win their own division, which is a ridiculous thing to say. Mm. Um, But with how the Cardinals, I know the Cardinals obviously are no longer undefeated. Um, Tough loss against another very good team, the Packers, who also have star quarterback, star running back and star wide receiver for Mm. the record. Mm. Um, But the Cardinals will push the Rams close. That second matchup between the two of them could well decide who walks away as as the champions of the NFC West. Um, but if you're the Rams, you've you've got to be thinking right now, Super Bowl or bust. And it's going to take something special to be able to draw up an offensive game plan that can deal with Aaron Donald, Von Miller, mm. and Jalen Ramsey. Because dealing with one of them is okay. Dealing with two of them is hard. I, I really don't know how you deal with all three at the same time. I think I think you look at it and you think this you know it's not your dad's NFL anymore, right? No one's winning it. No one's winning the NFC title game nine six, and we're not suggesting that anyone is. Yeah. However, with players yeah. like Donald Miller, Ramsey, you get takeaways and you get stops, and you stop teams scoring thirty points, and they get twenty four points. And if you've got Stafford, Cup, Robert Woods, Higby, whoever you want, you think week by week you can score thirty plus points a game. So what you want your defense to do is make enough plays to win it. And to be fair, most teams are like that, right? We talk, we talk Dallas quite a few times, and Dallas talent isn't as good as the Rams, but they are working on the same concept. Their defense just needs to make enough plays, enough stops to allow the other exactly. team to do it. That just got to turn them around. What I find interesting is, you know, you mentioned the Packers, um, and then obviously we talk about the Rams, and in theory, they, you know. Both seven and one now, I think. Or oh, it's back. It might be six one. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Two different approaches, and what I mean by that is the Packers have never gone all in, and in theory, that that's the reason why Aaron Rodgers doesn't want to be there anymore. They've always played it slow and steady. They've never spent large sums of money. They've never given up draft capital in any real way since Reggie yep. White in like 1995 or whatever it was. It's just not in their makeup to do that as an organisation. Whereas the Rams and their Sneed is in their makeup and it's there's more than one way to skin a cat, right? And it's always interesting when you, you there's a situation right now that where you would expect those two teams to meet in the playoffs and it'll be interesting to find out which way it goes. 
Yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, we, we joked earlier about the easiest job in football being Rams College Scout because you've got no one to scout. But kind of the luckiest man in football right now, it's got to be Matthew Stafford. Yeah. I mean, you've been buried in Detroit for how long? You get moved out of Detroit, and I've never been to Detroit, but I hear the weather is not favourable. You end up in LA. Glamour, sunshine, exciting times. Oh, you've got, you know, Cooper Cup, who becomes your best friend, and you can't stop breaking records and throwing touchdowns to him. You've also got a very good tight end in Tyler Higby, Robert Woods and Deshaun Jackson to give you threat down the field as well. Oh, and by the way, we're going to go all in on a defense to bring, you know, I think he's an eight-time or nine-time Pro Bowl linebacker in from the Broncos as well. I mean... If you're Matthew Stafford, when you've been in Detroit and look at where that franchise is, you have to think he's looking around, rubbing his hands with glee, going, Correct. now I have a chance. And, Correct. Correct. you know, I, I, I like Matthew Stafford. I'm very happy for him. He seems like a good guy. Um, people around the league, you know, talk very highly of him. I listened to uh, one of the Pat McAfee interviews with Aaron Rodgers last year, and he was effusive with his praise of Matt Stafford, even though, you know, the Lions-Packers is a big rivalry. So good for Matt Stafford, you know, good for Sean McVay, young coach. <laughs> But with great talent comes great expectations. And if the Rams were to make the playoffs and lose in round one, oh, there's trouble there. Absolutely. If you're, if you're Sean McVay and you're Matt Stafford, you can't, you can't lose. You can't lose in a wild card round. You can't lose, you know, that early. Um, and, you know, just one of those things that is, uh, is, is the pressure for the Rams and in completely unrelated news I'm just getting a notification on my phone saying that the Dolphins will not make a trade for Deshaun Watson so I don't have to worry about that anymore so that's nice that is that is good news and that makes I'm sure <laughs> Callum, Callum happy because you know no one needs that kind of the additional nonsense noise around the outside to your franchise as someone yeah. as Callum's mentioned a couple of times whose team is basically perpetual outside noise believe you me you don't need it in your life it's not worth it Callum as always no I mean, to, to be honest speak... with you <laughs> yeah, to be honest I was, I was just going to say with, the, with, with Miami being as bad as we are I'm quite happy that I'm never able to write a column about us so we don't have to talk about it on this every week. So I appreciate you having me on as always, Paul. No worries, mate. As always, a pleasure. And we'll speak to you soon, yeah? Thanks, man. And joining me now for his weekly segment on the show, it's Mr. Joe Valenzuela. Joe, how are we? Not great. Not great. Um, yeah, I think I think we should just get straight into it, right? Um, yeah. We had a week off um, last week that due to me um, scheduling conflicts, a family birthday, my son, um, and since we last spoke, uh, the world's officially ended. Um, all, all the things that we thought were right were wrong and and upside down. We we, you know, I you know better than me. I'm I'm not an AFC North aficionado, but I think we thought the Steelers were dead. Um, but much like you know any bad horror movie, and we were in Halloween, they are they are back to life, yeah. and again causing havoc for the the Cleveland Browns. Uh, I am tired of Big Brother. It's been too many <laughs> too many years of that. Um, God, it's it was a very frustrating game for you know obviously a ton of reasons. I think you know lately the defense has kind of been slipping and. Besides, you know, they play well versus Denver, but against powerful offenses, they have not really shown up. And I'm not calling Pittsburgh a powerful offense, but you could see how a team might fall into a rut. And uh, they, you know, they played they played 
they definitely played well enough to win. If you score, or if you let the opponent score 15 points, um, especially with the offense we have, I feel like we should win mm. really 10 out of 10 times, barring or barring a you know dramatic weather. But it just it was frustrating. The first drive, it felt like the Vikings game in a lot of ways because we drove all the way down the field and then we don't come up with points and then we're just so stagnant from there. And I, you know, Baker, a lot of the time this year, has been the, the guy in question. Um, I know he's hurt, but at the end of the day, it does come back to the quarterback. And I really thought he actually played pretty well. He didn't – I didn't feel like he got a lot of a lot of favors from his receivers. I mean, Jarvis is always so reliable, it feels like. And he – I mean, that was maybe the worst game I've ever seen him play as a Brown. And I know he's banged up too, but he had some crucial drops on, on very catchable passes. I mean, a lot of guys did. Um, and when – that play, I'm not sure if you remember, it, at the end of the fourth quarter, we're driving, we're down mm. by five, and Baker gets hit out of bounds, and you know, your, your heart kind of stops if you're a Browns fan, because, you, you know, the whole the whole year you kind of feel like he's one more hit away from just, it, it's over, and he kind of takes his time, and he comes back out on a classic Baker, he gets the whole crowd going into it, and you just, you feel the momentum, and you feel like we're going to go down and score, and then we have those Absolutely. drops at the end. And Stefanski, who... You know, I don't have a lot of complaints where he he made a call at the end of the game there on a, a fourth and short, and he tried to get the defense to come off sides, and instead of calling a timeout, he just let a delay game go and so he punted it. And I just I felt like if, if we're around the 50 with the way the offense has been playing, you have to go for it at that point. I mean, how many chances do you think we're going to have down there? It just felt like nothing went right. I mean, Pat Fryermuth made the catch of his life. It was pretty good coverage by Ronnie Harrison. So yeah, all in all, if, especially when the team doesn't have a kicker and it's that close of a game, you you need to pull a division win at home out. And you know now we have Cincinnati coming up and really a, a bunch of division games. So this week feels like a big make or break. If we win this game, we have the same record as the Bengals. You know you don't know what could happen to the the Ravens or the Steelers. So a lot hangs in the balance this this weekend. Um, hopefully we can turn things around because we obviously have the potential to, but it's just a matter of. Um, you know, putting all the pieces together. Hopefully, we can string a couple victories together, though. Yeah, I think as you said, you know, I'm not necessarily sure Baker was the problem on on Sunday, but I do think you know the injury is is hindering him, obviously. And mm-hmm. do do you wonder if he's? We all know kind of Baker Mayfield and, and his personality, and I think it was summed up. It, as you mentioned quite eloquently in that that final five minutes where he gets hit out of bounds and he's getting the crowd up and he wants to play and he wants to win and I understand that but I do I do wonder if he's you know is he costing himself millions and millions of dollars by playing this injured now he may still win games and he may still earn a lot of money but because he's not putting himself in the best position because of his health there's a situation where the contract that he will sign or will look to sign won't be as good. And I, I suppose that doesn't really matter to him, but mm-hmm. it, is, it is something from the Browns to think about. Is a 60% Baker Mayfield the same or similar to a Case Keenum when you actually would prefer Baker to take three weeks off and get to 80%? Yeah, that's an interesting point. It, um you know, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not sure what time off would do mm. to this injury unless it gets fully repaired. So, if if we're being honest, I would take a 60% Baker over Case Keenum because Case Keenum is he's not going to win you a Super Bowl. And what are we no, doing? That's, that's that's all we want. So at least we can go out swinging. And in terms of 
of how you put the millions of dollars. Ironically, that might be the best case scenario for this team long term because we don't have to pay him a lot. <laughs> Obviously, we want him as our quarterback. He's proven you know, turn the whole franchise around as much as people want to give him grief. I mean, what he's done with the situation he was given, I don't know how many quarterbacks could have done, and I, I do think he gets a bad rap. Um, so you know, maybe he comes up painless, but if he if he could play and he didn't play it just it doesn't add up it it's not him and that's mm. that's why we love him because he maybe he can barely play but the fact that he can actually go out there and he's gonna do it and he's gonna give his all like he has been that's why cleveland loves him that's why the fan base loves him i mean i wouldn't trade him for another quarterback i know there's better quarterbacks than him i don't think he i think he gets a better up like i said he's more elite than he gets credit for and his stats are a little deceptive based on how much he actually passes versus these teams that just air it out that's I think he could spread the field like he did his Rick year so he's obviously hurt he's obviously not 100% but if we have any chance of turning the season into something positive it's going to need to be him dying out on that hill um, hopefully like I said it, it can turn around and I, I really believe that it can with all the pieces we have I know we're so banged up you know maybe worse than almost any team but it's the NFL every team has to go through that so these division games, if we can hit a stride, which I really feel like it starts this week, then we can string huge wins together. Because the AFC is so bottled up. There's there's teams that aren't separating themselves. I mean, you if I told you we'd have the same record as the Chiefs going into week nine, you would <laughs> yes. think that's exactly where you want to be. And the Chiefs are going to make the playoffs. And I think if I had to be honest with myself, I would say 50-50. I mean, we have to obviously be a better team than we have been, but we have the capability. So it's something that only time is going to tell us. But I, I'm i just I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic because this is a huge week coming up, and, and we have been handling the Bengals since Baker came into the league, and I'm hoping we can be big brother to them just like the Steelers were to us last week. I think I think if we move on to onto that AFC playoff picture, which is wild, right? I, you know, if you look at the, at the tie breaks at the moment, the the Browns are four and four and tenth, um, then Chiefs at nine, Patriots eight, all four and four, Chargers four mm-hmm. and three, but struggling the last couple of games. Steelers unbelievably the six seed at four and three, yeah. Bengals five and three, coming off an horrific loss to Mike White and the Jets. Bills are five and two. Ravens are five and two, and then the top two seeds: Raiders at five and two, and Titans at, at six and two. Although Titans now obviously yeah. losing their quote unquote best player, we can get into running back debate or whatever. But a seriously yeah. important player in Derrick Henry. I guess this is a eight weeks in. I don't think anybody knows where this playoff picture is going in the AFC. I guess mm-hmm. apart from as you said, Joe, I'm with you. I think the Chiefs do make it. Yeah, I, I can't see a scenario where they don't. I mean, I, crazy enough, I don't know if the top two teams you just said are going to make the playoffs. I yeah, I know, don't. right? It's crazy. And, and any of those 10 teams, if any of them make the playoffs, I'm not going to be shocked because they're so – it's it's the opposite of the NFC. I mean, those it's so top-heavy. These guys in the AFC have been beating each other up. I think given any you know scenario, the, these teams can all beat each other. So it's really about – what team is going to improve throughout the season. Obviously, New England's trending in the right direction, and they have a, an easier division. That's what really is going to hurt us, the teams that we're going to have to play coming up. But in terms of, of the capability, it, we have one of the best rosters when healthy, and hopefully we can get these guys back into a group because 
I just, you know, you don't know how many times you're going to have a team that lines up this well. And obviously mm-hmm. the injury bug has killed us, but, I, you know, it, just it, it, it's frustrating. It really is. It, so many different things could, could could happen. And I never really did doubt the Steelers. I mean, Mike Tomlin has never had a losing record for a reason. So I thought they were always going to be there at the end. Um, the Bengals, that loss last week really gave the, probably the, the Browns fan base some juice because... Baltimore is going to be there barring an injury. So if we can squeak up past the Steelers or the Bengals or both of them, we're going to make the playoffs, I think. And and I think that's that's something that could really happen. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I, te- I spoke to Callum pre- previously and we, we talked about the Rams and them going all in, but we wanted to talk more about the San Francisco 49ers who, who uh, won at the weekend, beating the Bears 33-22 in it looked like Jimmy Garoppolo was running Trey Lance's offense, <laughs> but mm-hmm. they have a big a big group of games coming up now. They play in the next five weeks. They've got Cardinals, Cardinals and Rams at home, and also the Seahawks on the road. So big time and big moves needed for the San Francisco Forty Niners. Yeah, it, it like uh, us. It feels like when their run games on point, they're they're very tough to beat. I think he's one of the best coaches in the league, uh, Kyle Shanahan. That is, and when Jimmy's healthy, I mean. You know, the last time he was healthy for a full year, they went to the Super Bowl, and you know, he hasn't been healthy this year. They, their best player, probably Kittle, has been hurt. Um, defense has been banged up. Bosa does look like he's returning to form, but I think they, like the Browns, are a team that has underperformed. But it's all about the capability of a team. Like they, I could very easily see win five games in a row and and find their groove. So teams like that always interest me, especially. You know, Jimmy played terrible versus the Colts, and they really needed to win that game. So if they had lost last week, um, that probably would have been it for him. But they, they won. He played well. And I, if they can snowball this into some division wins, I could easily see them squeaking into a playoff spot because everyone knows that division and the AFC North are probably the best two. Obviously, Seattle has been really hindered by Russell Wilson being hurt. But I think that uh, San Francisco has one of the most complete rosters. So... I'm interested to see how they they match up against the Rams and the Cardinals. Joe, on on the Forty Niners, you know, you you as we know, you're a, a Browns fan, so you have knowledge of Kyle Shanahan, and um, there's been a lot of noise around his ability as a head coach, not necessarily his ability as a play caller. I'm just interested what you, how you think Kyle is doing and has handled being the head coach at the Forty Niners. Uh, it's well, I think he. He, he's done some good things. He's done some bad things. I think he. It's interesting because how many teams? I told you you went to the Super Bowl. You have a quarterback who's really entering kind of prime years for uh, what a quarterback is. You know, late twenties, early thirties, especially for a guy who doesn't rely on his athleticism and he's a pocket passer. And then he gets hurt pretty much all last year, and then they move on from him. And you kind of are stuck in limbo between rebuilding or win now. But if you if you go to the Super Bowl two years ago, I, I feel like if the roster is not completely turned over, which that roster isn't, then you you stay win now. So he put a big dilemma uh, in that organization. Uh, he clearly believes in Trey Lance or doesn't believe in Jimmy Garoppolo. But that to me is puzzling. But at the same time, I think he's so capable as a play caller that he makes up for those deficiencies. Um, and he, you know, has had a rough go of injuries more than any coach. Mm-hmm. And, and that really goes back to Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, you know, you're not going to win with your quarterback being hurt. Um, 
you know the San or the Vikings did it that one year, but you know, or I guess the Eagles. It's just it's so hard to do, and he I feel like at, at times has really done a lot with a little, but he definitely at times has has done not much with the uh, with those same guys. So if he can just kind of find that that same groove that he found uh, a couple years ago, and even the end of Jimmy G's first year where they won seven in a row, and I think that team still is capable of doing that. So. I don't know. I, I wouldn't mind having him as a head coach if I didn't love Stefanski so much, mm. but he definitely does some questionable things. I do agree with that. Okay, perfect, Joe. Well, as always, brilliant stuff. Um, one of the big games this weekend will be Browns and Bengals, absolutely 100%. So um, good luck, and I look forward to talking about it with you next week. Awesome. Yeah, hopefully it's a, it's a lot better conversation next week. Hopefully. Yes, Cheers, sir. Joe. Thank you. And joining me now, um, as always, favourite Geordie talks about the NFL. It's Tabe, Tabe, how are we? Yeah, yeah, I'm not too bad, Paul. What I love about this show is you get to talk to people about their articles and regularly we find out how intelligent they are. And Tabe is no exception here as in his in his things to look out for in, in week eight. Um, he highlighted that in his first item, that the Titans are ascending in the AFC. And guess what? The Titans won. And right now, the Titans are the number one seed in the AFC. So, uh, eat that prediction, makers. <laughs> um, so, Taib, I guess the question is, well, there's two questions on, on it. Um, how do, The first one is, how does the Derrick Henry injury affect the number one seed in the AFC? Oh, massively. Like, I'm not going to sit here and kind of downplay it. Derrick Henry is the best player on that offense, and he's been kind of the driving force as to why they've had so much success over the last two or three years. So, of course, it's enormous. For me, the way I look at it, though, is for as much as they've lost that kind of bulldozing running back and that fear's gone away a little bit from the defensive teams, I still think the mentality of the Titans comes from Vrabel. Mm-hmm. And it's it's it's, it's going to fuel them even more. The way I look at it with Tennessee is they kind of grow off of their setbacks. So remember last year when they had the massive COVID outbreak, and I think yes. they missed two weeks of games. And everyone in the NFL was saying that the Titans should be punished. And there was a lot of rumors going around that the Titans broke every rule going under the COVID protocols. And then obviously they came back on the Tuesday night, I think, and they annihilated the Bills. You know, sent Josh Norman into orbit. You know, so it. it for as much as it's a massive blow, I still think the Titans, they're going to go out there with that mentality of we're just going to beat the living daylights out of you guys. Even if we've not got Derrick Henry, we're still of that mindset. I think as, as well, you know, it gives them an opportunity to be the team I think a few people have wanted them to be. They have some elite pass catches, especially, you know, A.J. Brown. And it gives them maybe to have the chance to go, you know, Pass first. I don't believe they're going to be in a situation. I think they was. I read somewhere that I mean, kind of put into context the amount of touches that Derek Henry had. He is eighty-two touches ahead of anybody else in the NFL, yeah. which is just incredible. So you're not going to replace that with Adrian Peterson or McNichols or whoever. So they're going to have to kind of change the way they play. And it'll be interesting to see how they how they go about doing that and whether. They can become a Ryan Tannehill first team over a Derrick Henry first team. 
Yeah, and, and that, that's the big test for him. I, th- I think, again, what Mike Vrabel will try and tap in. I mean, I will say Ryan Tannehill, I think, is eighth currently in EPA for all mm-hmm. quarterbacks. Now, again, so much of their offense is built off play-action passing. But even, for example, the Kansas City game, Derrick Henry didn't rush over 100 yards. It was Tannehill's arm that beat Kansas City's defense that day. Obviously, they didn't have Derrick Henry for most of the game against Indianapolis. And again, Tannehill scratched and clawed his way to get the job done on the offensive side of things. I just feel like Vrabel will tap into the thing of like, Ryan Tannehill's not meant to be a franchise quarterback. Nobody thought he was a franchise quarterback. He came to Tennessee as backup to Marcus Mariota, who was Mm. their guy when they drafted him so high in, I think, 2014 or 15. Um so for him, it's, it's he's not playing with house money, but there's still that chip on his shoulder. And I feel like the Titans are probably the best team in the NFL to play with a chip on their shoulder. And so he'll always make mistakes. Like the interception against Indianapolis was ugly. And there's always going to be kind of one or two brain-feared moments. But he does also make big plays when Tennessee need mm-hmm. the most. The touchdown when they were 14-0 down. Um in the first half against Indianapolis and then he fires an absolute rifle to Julio Jones for the touchdown. Things like that he can make happen. So, yeah, I'm I'm hesitant to go like all in and say, like, and follow everyone else and say, oh, the Titans are done because Henry's finished. I, I wouldn't, the last thing I'd want to do is write the Tennessee Titans off. I think as well, it, it does help that they've now got, I think, two wins against the um, Colts and it, it gives, in, in theory, a really commanding lead in the division. Yeah. I think yeah. they still have to play both the other teams at least once, if not three times between them. Yeah. And that kind of situation gets you to a, a kind of you know, a nine wins a nine win job. So that yes. may be enough to win the South and allows you and there's rumours that Henry could be back in six to eight weeks and you may yeah. have him back for the playoffs. Yeah. Well I think that's the big thing. You know, that while the Tennessee Titans are kind of... They're prone to sometimes, like, the odd, bizarre game, like when they lost to the Jets. They are better than the Texans and the Jags. They're now 2-0 against Indianapolis. They won't play the Colts again this season. They've got two big conference wins over Kansas City and Buffalo. It just feels like they're in a really good spot right now. Absolutely. Let's move on to a team who don't feel like they're in a good spot. And you you highlighted again in your article, the Chiefs need a wake up call. Will they respond? Um, based on based on memes of Peyton Manning's hands on his head and also yeah. the game, the answer to that question was almost an unequivocal no. Yeah. Um, they really struggle to beat a terrible Giants team. Yes. Yeah, they did, and and again, it, it, it's the kind of thing I think sometimes. As NFL fans, we all kind of look to the big like Monday night, Sunday night games because that's where everyone's watching them. Not everyone watches the games at 6 o'clock, for example, or 5 o'clock as it was on Sunday. It was just another kind of... They're just so... I never thought I'd say this about like Andy Reid and the Patrick Mahomes era Chiefs, but it's just so miserable watching that offense. It feels like, it feels like someone's just took the power out of it. And I, think, I think I read somewhere... Um, this season, or currently right now, Mahomes is averaging, and that Kansas City offense is averaging less average yards per pass than the Lions and the Jets. Now, when you think that those teams have got, <laughs> when you think that those teams have got one win out of 
15 or 16 games already like like that just kind of tells you where the Jets are and I think uh, where the Chiefs are sorry and it feels like for me Mahomes I know a lot of people are kind of blaming other people but defences are taking the deep ball away from Kansas City because that's the one thing that they don't want to give up and that was the hallmark of that offence and it feels like now Mahomes instead of just taking a 6 yard completion a 7 yard completion and just march the ball methodically like what Tom Brady or Drew Brees would do it's almost like he's trying to find something that just isn't there. And, and it feels like, watching Mahomes, it looks like he scrambled. He scrambled and they're trying to find something. Um, yes, there are other questions. The defense isn't very good. They traded Lauren Duvernay-Tardif earlier today to the Jets. The offensive line still isn't very good. And, and the running game really doesn't really exist. And, and it's all just coming together and you've got a scrambled quarterback right now. And I never thought I'd say that. I never thought I'd say that about Mahomes. <clears throat> It, it's it's funny. I I read a, an article or heard something on a podcast about Mahomes, and it was it, they were reviewing about why he wasn't you know considering he's basically one of the elite two or three quarterbacks in the league now. Why he wasn't drafted so high? I think they were interviewing Daniel Jeremiah, and Jeremiah said that what he saw from Mahomes was kind of similar to what he saw this year. A lot of you know forcing it. A lot of you know, his brain seemed scrambled and, and he, he, lo- he looked at it and he thought, well, maybe that's because he was playing for Texas Tech and they were in 54, 52 yeah. games. And you almost felt like every every play had to be a touchdown. And it's almost like, although the defence was better like the last couple of weeks, it's almost like he's got into his head right now that he needs to score almost on every play. And if you take that deep ball away, it really has scrambled his brain. Yeah, yeah, and, and like I said, I think it's it's something that annoys me a lot, like, in, in this Twitter era that we live in and, like, highlight real quarterbacks. Like, Tom Brady is still playing now because he makes, he takes what the defense has given him as much as possible, and Mahomes right now just isn't doing that. Like, there's nothing wrong with a six-yard completion rather than trying to force a ball where it really isn't a play and, and leading the league in interceptions, you know? That, to me, is, you know, coaches cliche but turnovers lose games and against better teams and you think Baltimore, Buffalo Tennessee etc are all kind of lurking in the AFC Cincinnati, Pittsburgh's got a very good defence the Chargers have already beaten them Kansas City will not get away with it with the amount of quality teams in the AFC come the stretch and they've also got a few tricky games coming up, I think the Packers are soon on their schedule in November, I think Seattle which Wilson might be back for that game so there's a few kind of Difficult games on the horizon for Kansas City. My favourite. Before I let you go, tell you about. I'm a, I'm a serial retweeter of other people when they say funny and smart things. And, and today you fell right into my thing. And it, you said <laughs> the Lions were humiliated. The Bears lost, and Minnesota lost to a dude who looks like he played the high school quarterback in a TV show. Yes, not a banner year for the NFC North, is it? It, it sometimes, you know. I was speaking to Joe Valenzuela about um, the Browns and their horrific loss to the to the Steelers. Yeah, and and the reason it's a horrific loss is because he's a massive Browns fan and he's probably sick to the back teeth of getting beat by the Steelers. And he describes them as Big Brother, right? And that's it. There's a. It seems like if you're you know the um, the Packers, there's a load of little brothers. Going around doing stupid things, why you just yeah. kind of seem to win again? 
Yeah, yeah. It, it really annoys me. It annoys me more like when Bears and Vikings fans laugh at the Lions as if like, what have yeah, you exactly. guys ever achieved? Exactly, and then I'm yeah, like, hang right. on, hang on. I've, I've, I've been on this planet for 25 years. In that time, I've seen Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers basically dominate an entire division by themselves. So, 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 forget pointing the finger at us. Like, what are you guys doing? It's, it's so bizarre. It's, yeah, like, I, I often say it like, if it was like a cartoon and, and a man in it was dressed in a Green Bay Packers uniform was walking down the street. The bears are busy laying a bear trap, but they've stood in it themselves. Yes. You know, absolutely. when they've spotted the Green Bay Packers shirt, the Vikings are kind of doing the same thing and the Lions are still struggling to build a bear trap. Like, that's kind of what these teams are. It's um, it's not a fun yet to be a fan of the other teams. Like I said, it's just so easy for the Packers. It's, I, wish, I wish someone would challenge them because it kind of feels like they just win the division by default. Yeah, yeah, you know, as as someone who's who's a who's in whose team are in a division with the Dallas Cowboys, and we're doing all our best to make sure they they win it without anybody else attempting to beat them. I understand your pain, team. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, and yeah. you know, I, I, my my I, I have um, a father who's a Dolphins fan and a close friend who is a is a Jets fan, so he's with you on that kind of that kind of situation. If yeah, you know yeah, what I mean. yeah. So, no, but, I get that. Right, Ty, fantastic as always. I will let you go and I will speak to you again next week. Yeah, thanks, Paul. And joining me now, as always, this on a weekly segment is Mr. Thomas Willoughby. Thomas, how are we? Yeah, um, well, pretty demoralised, actually. I, I, I enjoyed a couple of weeks of being uh, of watching a winning football team um, and then it all... Now, with that on Sunday, if, if I, I tweeted about it, that Falcons versus Panthers, one for the purists in that it was just disgusting. It's the sort of one that you would, if you don't have to watch it, don't bother. Awful game of football. Falcons should be thoroughly embarrassed. And yeah, apart from that, not too bad. Thanks for asking. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Falcons question. Falcons. So, where do we stand? In terms of knowledge on how Calvin Ridley is, um, and what what are we are we just expecting that it's just a kind of season over for him now? And I mean, we just want him to get healthy, right? But I mean, do we know what the major issue is? No. So um, one thing that the Falcons have been really good at is just keeping it all under wraps. Um, they've just kind of left it as if if Calvin wants to talk about it, let him talk about it. At the end of the day, what he's got going on is is his. He's he's got that going on. Um, none of us know, and it, we have no right to know. So that's no, kind of where it's that's, that's where it's being left at. Um, Arthur Smith was asked about it after the game. He just sort of said uh, it's being dealt with, uh, but treated as like like any other injury. We don't have a timetable on it. It's just kind of when he's ready, you know, we'll we'll, we'll go from there. Um, one thing that I've sort of noticed, I. I, I I've been thinking about um, sort of Calvin Ridley as a, as a football player um, over the last couple of weeks because his production has been down, and it's all ultimately I'm I'm willing to sort of chalk it down to he's got something going on, and that's mm-hmm. ultimately affecting him as a as a player. Yeah. Um, and if he thinks that stepping away for a, for a period of time is going to improve him as a football player and as a person, absolutely the right thing to do. It takes a huge amount of courage um, to say to your employer who is paying you um, millions of dollars. I can't do this right now, um, especially with the profile and especially with um, 
just just who he is as a to the Falcons at the moment. It's just kind of like that takes a huge amount of courage, and obviously, all the time he needs puts the Falcons in a bit of a bind. But that's ultimately secondary to something that is going to affect him long term. Hopefully, the Falcons um, will we'll, we'll get him back sooner rather than later, and we can enjoy him slicing defensive backs up with his silky roots. But um, sort of right now, it's just all about focusing on on him getting getting better. I think the team have done a really admirable job of of handling it. To be yes, fair, like, agreed. Um, again, it's, it's it's something that's come to the. I know that the the, the, the NFL as a whole are doing their um, campaigns with sort of in between sort of ad breaks and whatever. Sort of to, you know talk about it that sort of thing. Dak Prescott was was quite mm. a big advocate, and obviously Hayden Hurst with the Falcons. Um, they've treated it. They've gone about it the right way. Um, no real pressure on him to do anything that he's not ready to do and you know all the best to him i doubt he listens to this um but if he is all the best um and obviously you know hope, hope he's back soon if he is that's cool um hi calvin uh picked you, <laughs> you early in fancy drafts the in, in your rookie year and, and made over did um Let's move on to to Thomas the Psychic, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back in time to uh, basically seven days ago. Um, uh, okay, Green Bay, you made your point. Let's just calm down a bit now, yeah. After week one embarrassment at the hands of Winston and the Saints, Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers of the Saturday are in fact good at football. Here's my prediction. The Packers will be responsible for the Cardinals' first defeat this Thursday. Yes, even with Devontae Adams condemned to COVID IR, these Packers are clicking and they'll stay clicking all the way to the postseason. Take a victory lap, please, Thomas. Even with Devontae Adams on COVID IR and even with um, uh, Lazard out as well, it was Aaron Rodgers and Randall Cobb and that was it. And they they got the job done. Um and you know, it's it's just one of those things where you see, you know, when you get a feeling that just something's yeah. going to happen, you kind mm. of put it out there because it's one of those things where it's like, oh, it might happen, but if it does, no one's going to call me out on it. Um, <laughs> but, when, but when it does happen, oh, you get to screenshot it. You're on Twitter. Like, well, what did I say? What did exactly, I say? <laughs> exactly right. Um, exactly. But I, it's it's one of those things where I'm I'm then what they seven seven and one. Um, I'm not I'm not sold on the Cardinals as a genuine title winning team. Mm. Um, I think that I get the feeling I get around the uh, 2021 Arizona Cardinals is the same feeling that I get looking back on. And this is going to sound really bad considering who, who I am as a person, the 2012 Atlanta Falcons. Um, mm. And they went eight and zero and finished the season 13 and three and lost in the championship game. And that's what I think the Cardinals are going to do. They're going to go all the way to the the championship game, and then it's going to be Green Bay or Tampa Bay. Take your pick. Um, As for Green Bay, it's just kind of like, what do you you say? It's just kind of like Aaron Rodgers, he he made his point in week one, I've had enough of this, but also I'm kind of a really good football player. Let's go and play some really good football. Um, And that was a really good win for them on Thursday. Um, sort of win where if you haven't been sold on them by now, you should probably be sold on them by now. They're they're, they're legitimate again. And, and and I think I think the thing is, I was just speaking to Taib, who we know is a is a Lions sufferer, um, and mm. he'd done a great tweet earlier about basically the other three teams in the division throwing up on themselves on a, on a consistent basis. 
Um, and I think that's sometimes I think we don't necessarily take that in, into account. You know, the Green Bay Packers are winning the NFC North quite easily. Um, and that allows them a bit of breathing room in relation to other activities, right? Now, do they want to get the number one seed? Probably. Do they want to buy? Yeah, probably. But they're going to get a home playoff game. And as long as Rodgers, Devontae Adams, the defensive players are fit and firing at that point, then they are in business and can cause the Tampa's, the Rams, serious issue. No, you're exactly right. And, and just to touch on that, um, obviously the, the Cardinals lost. The Rams, the Rams did win. Um, but Tampa Bay lost this week, and I mm. certainly didn't expect that. Though They have their own battles going on in division. Um, and I hadn't even thought about the fact that they can literally take their foot off when it comes to those other games. They don't, they don't have to um, play Tampa Bay and go all in because they just know they're getting... Let's be let's be let's be can six wins yes. uh, from the three teams in their division, and that's like the the best possible platform that you can have if you're going to win your division. Um, and they as you rightly pointed out, get a home playoff game. Nobody wants to go to Lambeau um, in the middle of January. That's disgraceful. Um, realistically, they will probably have two um, if they're not going to win the. If they're not well. They'll, they'll have two. That's my prediction. They'll have two home playoff games. Um, nice. Put that one down. Um, and, nice, nice. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll see where they are if they can get over the hump this year. I'm not sure. I'm, I don't know. Um, mm. But they'll be they'll be they'll be amongst it at the end. They'll be th- there or thereabouts. Exactly. Back to the Falcons, and I have a I have a a, a weird and serious question all at the same time. If you were born into a billionaire family a logistics company, yeah. that's one of the greatest. Well, one of the largest and most successful logistics companies on the planet. Would you be asked of coaching an NFL team, which seems like a really, really difficult task, especially considering that the Falcons are meh? Yeah, I mean, this is this is the thing. So, on a personal level, probably not. I'm quite lazy by nature. And same, <laughs> same. The only thing I'd be doing is buying the Falcons. Do you know what I mean? Not coaching them. Exactly. Being the uh, the the son of a a billionaire of a of a huge um, international shipping com- uh, company is it, it, that's just like you can't be asked to be brought into brought into a better situation as a child as a human being. Um, obviously, Arthur Smith has decided that he wants to be a football coach, and I think he's a pretty good one. Yeah. Um, and it's not showing right now because the Falcons aren't very good um, as much as I like to pretend that they are, but they're going to be good one day. Um, whether or not he's responsible for that or not is a different matter. Um, what I found really interesting when he was first coming into the job, um, the Falcons job, was the amount of people that said um, that he doesn't let it affect him. You know, he's, he's earned everything that he's done. He, he, he yes. put in all the hard yards. He, he lived in a dormitory and earned like two thousand dollars a year as an assistant or whatever and it was kind of like okay great but he could also afford to do that so it's not really it's not really comparable to anybody else it's, it's not, not like, like his dad, it's not like his dad cut him off is it like yeah he was I'm... in two thousand he was was in two thousand dollars that's cool his dad was still a billionaire Exactly. Like I'm, I'm really lucky in that. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not. I'm come from a, a, a billionaire sort of 
a billionaire. My dad's not a billionaire. So just cards on the table. My dad's not a billionaire. But my family's family's sort of well off enough that I've had sort of times um, where my dad has sort of come up to me and sort of said, if you're in trouble or whatever, you know, you can always sort of come back to us. We we, we sort of help you or whatever. And that's a really privileged position to be in. And ultimately, that situation that Arthur Smith had when he was first learning the ropes of coaching um, is just a, a magnified version of that. He's he's had the opportunity to um, learn what it's all about with the net, uh, with the safety net of FedEx. So it's yeah. kind of like um, fair play to him for giving it a go. Um, he seems like a really down to earth guy. His press conferences are always quite funny because he's really short with the 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 the, uh, the journalists that, that turn up. He's really frank and all that sort of stuff. But um, if I were him, I, I wouldn't have bothered. Um, <laughs> just, just sort of say, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll take over the business when, when the time comes, and, and leave it at that. Um, That's a man who's but, not watched Succession, right there. I think you know you'd expect Arthur <laughs> Smith is not is not bought into the Succession buzz, um, and or maybe he hasn't. He doesn't want to be one of them stupid kids. I don't know. Either yeah. or, I guess could be either or. I mean, it, it might ultimately just be a, a down to the fact that he wants to be his own, make his own mm. name, sort of. Like, oh, it, it, there's there's nothing to be gained from being the heir to the FedEx fortune or whatever. Um, yeah. But being the guy that turns the Atlanta Falcons into a winning team, a properly winning team, that goes quite a long way. I mean, in Atlanta, but it goes quite a long way, um, sort of, as to, in terms of a legacy. Um I appreciate that, and, and he, again, he, he's, a, he's obviously a really smart guy. He, he seems to know what he's doing offensively. A lot of stuff he needs to work out um, in terms of game management, but I don't think there's any money in the world that can fix that right now. Um, do, we, do, we, yeah. do we do we know your again? Do we know who who you expect to be facing a quarterback on Sunday? <laughs> um, I so this is this is. Because they're playing the Saints, for those who were unaware. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> um, it should be uh, Trevor Simeon, especially the way that he handled the the end mm. of that game. I thought I thought he did a, an admirable job coming into a pretty difficult situation um, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers coming back and and obviously ultimately leading them to to a win. Um, but Sean Payton's got this fixation on Taysom Hill, like a man crush that I've never seen. Um, and even though he's just coming out of concussion protocol, I don't know what, he, what he's going to be like sort of physically. He torched the Falcons last year when he started twice. Twice in three weeks, he ruined the Falcons. And it, it's just the sort of thing where you look at it and go, Sean Payne's just going to play Taysom Hill. Mm-hmm. That, if he's fit, that's where he goes. Um, probably not the smart thing to do. Um, but at, at the end of the day, the Falcons' defense is pretty rubbish. Taysom Hill's going to look like Peyton Manning. So... Yeah, Taysom Hill is where I would go if you're wanting a uh, a, a Mystic Willow prediction. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, Thomas, we will we'll let you go. Um, we wish you the best of luck on Sunday, and we, whatever happens, we'll speak to you again next week. Cool. Look forward to it. Cheers. Cheers, Thomas. And finally, on this week's show, uh, we have the man, the myth, the legend, Ollie Hodgkinson. Ollie, how are we? I'm very good, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, big, big week in college last week, and I have just really one question, um, and I guess it's a question on a lot of people's lips, and that is, what should I, what should Michigan do? How do you fix this? It's an interesting question. Um, 
What do they do? I mean, firstly, they've got to make sure they don't lose to Indiana this coming weekend. It would be very Michigan-esque to go 7-0 and and then lose to Michigan State, then lose to Indiana, and they've still got big games down the stretch as well, particularly one eye on the Ohio State rivalry. I'm trying to think of a superlative big enough to, to sum it up, but there really isn't a big enough superlative to describe that rivalry game, and that's that's one of the big issues, right? For, yeah. for, Mich- for Michigan, the Jim Harbaugh tenure has been defined really by the Ohio State game. Never beaten Ohio State. He's, he's defeated in every game. Um, he's only 3-9 and nine against Ohio State and Michigan State combined in his tenure as well, which is, is one of the things which is really causing massive... Um, Fury, I guess, is the best way of putting it amongst Michigan fans because they, I guess, their their biggest goal going into every season is beat Michigan State, beat beat Ohio State, and and under Jim Harbaugh, they've they've never beaten Ohio State. They've struggled to beat Michigan State now two years in a row, two consecutive losses to Michigan State, and I think that the big thing really with this defeat to Michigan State is the manner of it. You know, coming off the back of seven and zero for a start, sixth ranked team in the nation, a favourite, even though it was in East Lansing, and and then to have a performance where essentially they outplayed Michigan State for large swathes of the game. They outgained them in yardage. They outgained them in first yards, less interceptions, higher time of possession. You want to put away those games, and they're the games you have to put away, right? But four drives that resulted in a field goal, they couldn't stop Kenneth Murray, and it kind of leaves them now where they're kind of in a bit of a no man's land because they're they're essentially out of the college football playoff race potentially, um, unless they can win out the rest of the season and and. That involved beating Ohio State, and we've gone full circle to the the thing that Jim Harbaugh hasn't been able to do in his in his tenure. Is that I guess the thing about Harbaugh is there's an assumption given what he was, which is a quarterback, <laughs> that his team should be good on offense, and they really have struggled consistently o- over his tenure to be a fully functioning offence that consistently scores high points against good teams. Now, is this just as simple as he's really struggled to recruit a top-level quarterback? I think the issue is he's struggled to... You mentioned it. He he was a quarterback himself. He came into Michigan off the back of coaching Andrew Luck at Stanford, and he had the reputation of being a quarterback whisperer and he hasn't been able to whisper any of the quarterbacks he's had. It's, and and it, it's not for, um, I, I personally think, it's not for the lack of having a decent quarterback because you look at some of the guys that have been through that door. They're not playing with two, three-star recruits. Mm, They've true, had four-star recruits, five-star recruits. They've got J.J. McCarthy and Cade McNamara at the moment, both top-level recruits in their respective, uh, in their classes. So there's... There's something clearly amiss there from a coaching perspective. He's not been able to develop these high-level um, recruits into exceptional college football quarterbacks. And I think the, the sad thing was that Saturday was probably the best that Cade McNamara had played 
as a quarterback, as a passing mm. quarterback. He's, mm. he's, had his det- he's had his knocks and his detractors this season as a passer of the ball, but Saturday was probably the best he's looked as a passer. The Michigan offense actually is, is is kind of humming at the moment, especially the ground game with Blake Corum and, and Hassan Haskins and McNamara brings you that dual threat ability on the ground as well. So the, the offense has been kind of ticking along quite nicely and probably from my perspective, better than a Michigan offense that I can remember in the last couple of three years, certainly covering college football. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a huge issue um, that they've not been able to develop a quarterback the, the team is stacked with talent this year as well on both sides of the ball. And it's just, yeah, there's, there's that level of expectation for Michigan fans that they should be better than, than where they are. And they certainly should be beating Michigan State and Ohio State. But, I mean, t- to, be, to, to Jim Harbaugh's credit, and you won't hear me use those words very often because, <laughs> you know, anyone who listens to the College Chaps podcast will know every time we do a hot seat segment, I'll be throwing Jim Harbaugh's name out there because I think he is consistently got the hottest seat in college football, but they haven't actually in Michigan been a top four team. And we, I mean, we talk about top four now, obviously because of the college playoff format, but they haven't been a top four team since like 1997. They were like the number one ranked team in 1997 and they haven't been a top four ranked team since then. And, and Jim Harbaugh hasn't been there in all that time. So as a Michigan fan base, what are your, your expectations? And, and how do you think they'd be bettered without Jim Harbaugh? I think there's no doubt in that his seat's very hot, despite signing a contract extension in, in January, one which obviously involved a very considerable um, pay cut to keep you know to, to keep his job. Um, who else is out there that they think can come in and do, and do a better job? And what is the level of expectation for this program? I think I think that's a I think that's a good one. I I I'll move on to a different question, but just to add my two bands with I, I was speaking to friends of mine and we're like dipping and out to college when we get the, the likes of you on the show, Ollie, and it's like they got a cool name, they got a cool stadium, they got a cool, you know, insignia. But you look back in history and they're an okay an okay college football team. Which has got a much bigger name than than they should. I think I saw that they'd won, I think it was three three national titles since the World War, and two of them were forty seven and forty eight. So that puts it into context. Next question for me is, obviously, um, we do a lot of NFL stuff, and it's you know you get to a playoff and it, whatever the playoffs in college are decided by lots of people deciding numbers in front of people's names. I, I noticed this week after um, going through the, the rankings and a friend of mine noticed it as well and he messaged me and he said to me, can anyone explain to me how Ohio State are ahead of Oregon when I remember watching a football match? That happened in this college season where Oregon beat Ohio State. Can can you explain to him and, and me as... Not exactly expert in the in the ranking system, how that can occur. I think that you, you summed up perfectly everything that's wrong with the college football playoff ranking system, uh, and a lot of the various different seat rankings that come before the college football playoff. Which the initial uh, rankings is tonight. We're recording this on on Tuesday night. We're about an hour away from finding out who the official top four initial um, teams will be. It's, it's an absolute 
crapshoot. Let's be honest, no one really understands how these rankings are pulled together, how the college football playoff committee make their decision. Um, what I would say with that particular, the, the particular example of Ohio State and Oregon is is perfect because obviously, as you mentioned, second week of the season, Oregon, Ohio State in the horseshoe, Oregon going there, surprise victory um, over Ohio State. And now we're at week, just coming out of week nine of the college football season and Ohio State were ranked by the AP six and Oregon ranked seventh. And it doesn't make a deal of sense. I completely agree with you. Um, But when you look at the two seasons that those two teams have had, aside from that one game, Oregon um, haven't particularly... um, they haven't been particularly impressive. They've not been decisive in their victories. They they lost to a Stanford team that aren't exactly the, the, the greatest team in college football this year. They have had a particularly easy strength of schedule to get to the 7-1 and one record that they've got. Um, offensively and defensively, very middling team. So 23rd ranked offense, 51st ranked defense in the nation. And, and they're missing for some periods of times this season. They've missed Kayvon Thibodeau with, with injury. They've missed Justin Flo with injury. So they've had their share, a fair share of, of injury problems and concerns, which has impacted their season. But they just haven't been overall as impressive. And, and Ohio State have grown into this season. CJ Stroud only struggles early on and he's grown into the role as a starting quarterback for Ohio State. They have had a significantly tougher strength of schedule. Um, when we come to the college football playoff later on, they're going to talk about quality of wins, um, which mm-hmm. you would rightly argue that Oregon's win over a fifth, uh, sixth ranked Ohio State is a quality win. And Ohio State essentially have got Penn State on their record as a quality win. But the rest of the games, the rest of the teams that they've played have been a slightly tougher schedule for Ohio State. They've looked better doing it as the season's gone on. They've got the number one ranked offense in the entire country. So that plays into their hands. And the defense, which struggled early on at times as well, is now the 20th ranked defense in the nation as well. So there's a lot of things that go in their favor as this committee sits down tonight to make their first um, college football playoff decision. As you rightly point out, it, it seems absolutely bizarre and mental that a team that has lost to another team is ranked below them. Uh, is ranked above them, sorry, sure. So I, I, I always like the idea that, like, if you're Ohio State, you obviously want Michigan to get beat by Michigan State, but you probably at some point want them to beat Indiana, and you probably want them to beat the rest of their schedule because then when you play Michigan, if they're 15th say in in the country and you beat a 15 ranked Michigan team regardless of the fact whether it's the same team or not and if they would have lost to Indiana or not that's a better that makes you look better and it's one of those strange things and as you said you know I my answer in I was you were much more erudite than me I was like well Oregon got beat by Stanford child you know that's you know, we don't have to well, like and, it, and, but that yeah, that's and, that's kind of how Stanford aren't as good this year, and they got beat by them. And someone goes, "Well, okay, why is they got beat by Oregon? But Oregon are good, and Oregon got beat by Stanford, and they're not. Therefore, Oregon, why is they better? You don't have to like it, but that's kind of the logic tree that they fall into. 
And that's what's kind of um, getting at me a little bit as we head towards this initial college football playoff ranking. As you look at Alabama, who are the third-ranked team by the Associated Press, they were third in the coaches' poll. Our um, rankings over at Pro Football Network have them as the third-ranked team in the nation. But they lost to a Texas A&M team that had been pretty garbage this year. Mm. And you compare that to Georgia, who are going to be without a doubt is probably the wrong thing to say because college football throws stuff at you out of left field. But without a doubt, I would say Georgia are going to be the number one ranked mm. team in the nation. Um, but you look at that Alabama loss to Texas A&M and it, and it feels like it should really detract from their standing in the, the rankings. But then again, you look at the quality wins again. When they played, and this is a terrible example because Miami have gone on to be an awful team, but mm. Miami were a ranked team when Alabama yeah. faced them. Florida were a ranked team when Alabama faced them. Ole Miss were a ranked team when Alabama faced them. So that's three ranked wins. And that's quite a big argument that's going on at the moment is, mm. well, how do you rank those games that happened at the start of the season? Yeah. Because obviously those teams were ranked then, but like Miami would be nowhere near right now. So is that a quality win for Alabama? Mm. Is that not a quality win? And it's it's so so up in the air, but the, the college football playoff committee tonight, we know will... They'll lean very strongly on strength of schedule. They'll lean very strongly on overall record. They'll lean very strongly on um, results between two, the teams that are ranked near the top as well. So it's going to be super interesting. It wouldn't surprise me to see Ohio State maybe even sneak into that top four um, when the initial rankings come out tonight. What we what we do know is Cincinnati potentially might get shafted by the committee yeah yeah of course final final question um i had callum squires on before he's a miami fan i had taib on before he's a lions fan i had thomas on before he's an atlanta fan and i you know dip into the washington football team scene from time to time as for fans of garbage NFL teams can you explain to us why as the Pro Football Network draft aficionado, why we should be watching Liberty versus Ole Miss on Saturday? Oh yes I most certainly can and do you know what it surprised me that game day, college game day has decided to go to Cincinnati this weekend because Cincinnati are playing a Tulsa team that have been pretty garbage this season and yeah there's the whole what will happen with the college football rankings, will Cincinnati be in, will they be out I get that there's a mystique behind it, but if you want a real storyline for college game day to chase, it's Ole Miss against Liberty because you've got Malik Willis versus Matt Corral. The consensus feels like a wrong word to use with this NFL draft class quarterback um, grouping, if we're being honest. But by and large, I think the two guys that are receiving the most attention as potential QB ones in this class is Malik Willis and, and Matt Corral. And they're going to go, Head-to-head is the wrong word again because they're not on the pitch at the same time, but their draft stock's on the line with every snap that they take, I think, on Saturday. And then it's it's also super interesting because of the Hugh Freeze bowl. Yeah, of course. Hugh Freeze returning to Ole Miss, but it's going to be interesting. This is the game that would be circled for people in the Malik Willis corner because it's a power five defense or admittedly not the greatest power five defense out there, but certainly improved from last year. He has had a couple of games where he threw three interceptions, which is, has really left the um, his decision making as a questionable element of his um, as his draft profile. So it's going to be interesting to see Malik go out there and, and put on a show. And Matt Corral's 
kind of bouncing back from a difficult couple of weeks with injuries. It, it looked for a, a while like he might be in serious injury on Saturday night, but um, he managed to bounce back. But he didn't have his strongest game, so he's gonna he's gonna need to bounce back against the Liberty defense that people will be sleeping on. But they've got some decent players in there. Fantastic, Ollie. Well, I'll be watching, be making notes, and then obviously picking up the noise from what you guys are saying at PFN. So. Thank you for your time. We will let you go and enjoy the rest of your night. Cheers. Appreciate you, bud. And that is it for episode seven of the Touchdown Review, brought to you by the touchdown.co.uk. Some great guests, some great insight. Lots of psychics. Lots of people who know what's going on in the NFL. And because of that, I can't recommend enough. Get yourself to the touchdown.co.uk. Click on those articles and read the great writers. Um, thank you for listening this week we'll let you go and we'll see you again next week